Let's pray together. Our loving God, as we come to approach your word for us this morning, we pray that that what we do this morning, what we hear this morning will be planted in our hearts. May we go from this place as changed people. May we not take what we hear here for granted. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Savior. Amen. Uh, one of my rhythms and routines uh, at the moment is to go to the gym on a Monday uh, afternoon. I don't necessarily look like I go to the gym very often, uh, but, uh, but once a week I go to the gym. Daniel goes to, uh, to gymnastics, um, and Nicola goes there with them, um, and then I spend um, some time in the gym. And that usually revolves around a 26-minute uh, uh, run, um, some cycling, um, and some, uh, some lifting of the tiniest weights that you could possibly lift uh, in the gym. There is undignified wheezing that generally goes along with all of that, and thankfully I'm in the gym uh, on my own on a Monday because Monday at quarter past one isn't a popular time to go to the gym. Normally when I'm doing this run, um, I, uh, I, I have something to listen to, uh, and it's usually a podcast. I started off with, uh, with, with, uh, uh, with trying to find music that would inspire me, but, uh, but I just found that I got bored. And so I need something that, that will distract me enough to be able to get to the end uh, of the run. So I tend to listen to a podcast because that then takes my mind off the, uh, 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 off the pain and the, uh, and the wheezing that, uh, that happens when, uh, when I'm running. Now, I, I don't do the running particularly because I enjoy it. I don't go to the gym because I particularly enjoy uh, going to the gym. I don't really need to be able to run long distances. I don't really need to be able to cycle long distances. And I don't really need to be able to pick up ever-increasing weights either. I would rather be in the cafe having a decent cup of coffee and a scone. But I do it... Um, I, I, I do it because I have a kind of bigger purpose in mind for it. I don't do it because I particularly enjoy it. I do it because I've got a bigger purpose in mind for what I do. And my bigger purpose is that uh, when I reach my mid-50s or my early 50s or my mid-50s and when my children are kind of 10 and 14 and 15, I want to still be able to run around after them and to be able to, to actually enjoy my time with them. When we were on holiday last week, we went to a thing called Ninja Warriors, which is um, a big inflatable thing that the, that the kids love to go to. And, um, and I saw the, dad, the, the, the session that we go to is for, for uh, parents and little children. And I saw the dads there with like knees strapped up and, and kind of stretching before they, before they went on. And you, know, you climb over things and jump in things and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, my goodness, I don't really want to be the strapped up dad kind of heaving himself over all of these things. I want to be able to do these things properly. Uh, and I want to be able to uh, spend active, proper time with my children. So this is why I go to the gym um, and try to get myself a little bit fitter. I've got a bigger plan in mind than just um, spending time on my own in the gym. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the patterns and the lifestyle of Jesus. We've been talking about how intentionally mirroring and following the habits of Jesus can give us a foundation for our spiritual lives, but not just our spiritual lives, our actual 
physical lives, our whole lives. We've talked about how when the world is in chaos, we look for something that will give us a bedrock and a foundation uh, to our lives. When we can't fathom what's going on in our lives, we look for something that will give us a foundation and a bedrock and a rhythm that will help us. And we've talked, uh, talked about how the church has actually not been particularly good at giving us ways of doing that. The church hasn't been particularly helpful in giving us the how to do it. The church will tell us that we need to be more forgiving or we need to uh, be more like Jesus. We need to, need to do these things. But we've not really talked about how you actually practically do that. And over the course of this series, we've looked a little bit at the, at the history of how people have found ways of doing it. And so we looked a little bit at St. Benedict and his rule of life. We looked at the Iona community last week and how that had helped with a rhythm of life with some of those folks. And we've looked at writers like Dallas Willard and John Mark Comer as they've wrestled with these things as well. And what it basically comes down to is that some kind of rule, some kind of structure helps to support us in our life as a disciple. It comes down to finding some kind of support, some kind of rule and way of supporting us in developing our spiritual lives. And what we found out is that a rule, if you translate that word rule, is really a support. And the, and the word rule kind of, kind of comes from the word trellis, and so we talked about how a trellis holds up a vine and gives it support. We've also talked about the rule being like a yoke, where Jesus bears part of our life, where Jesus helps us bear the weight of life by being an example of how to live our lives and how to live a balanced life. That's what a yoke is. And if you want to catch up on all of these things, then you can do that um, through, uh, uh, through YouTube and Facebook. And over the last kind of two and a half weeks or so, we've looked at those habits of Jesus, those things that Jesus did to show that balance in his life, the things that he, uh, the things that he prioritized as he tried to balance his life. Things like worship and silence and solitude um, and sacrifice and those kinds of things. What I want to do today is I want to take us a little bit deeper into why we should do a rule of life, why it's important that we have this rule of life. I want to talk a little bit with you about why we might put a rule of life in place and why it's important that we follow those habits of Jesus. Um, so I want to dig a little bit deeper in that. Remember, I go to the gym for a bigger purpose. I don't go to run long distances. I don't go to lift heavier weights. I go because I want to spend time with my children the older I get. The point of it is to spend active time with my children. The writer John Mark Comer says this. He says, the point of the trellis isn't to make vines stand up straight, but rather to attain a rich, deep glass of wine. It's to create space for the vine to grow and to bear fruit. This isn't to make nice straight vines. It's so that we get good wine. The rule of life is not an end in itself. And the habits of Jesus aren't there to make us better Christians. It's not there to make us a better Christian. 
The rule of life is to help you live your life. And as John says in his gospel in chapter 10, it is to live life in all its fullness. And we can't do that if we don't have a foundation. We can't do that if we don't have a bedrock. And we can't do that if we have no ultimate hope that transcends the stresses and strains of this world. So what I want to do is I want to take you to a letter that talks a little bit about this. And so I'm going to give you a wee bit of context for the letter before, um, before we read the letter. So these two ladies, their names were Eunice and Lois, and they lived in the town of Lystra. And Eunice's son, they lived in the town of Lystra with Eunice's son and Lois's grandson, a man called Timothy. And Timothy and Lois and Eunice met a man called Paul, who was, upon, who was an apostle of Jesus, and they introduced him to Timothy, to their son, grandson. And Paul was so impressed with Timothy's devotion and knowledge of the Scriptures that Paul chose to mentor Timothy. And for many years, he mentored him and eventually started sending Timothy out on missions to the surrounding area. And one of the missions that Paul sent Timothy out on was to a church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus, the reason that Paul sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus is that the church in Ephesus was, uh, had been infiltrated by a group of leaders who were teaching the wrong stuff. So they weren't teaching what it was that Jesus had taught. They were teaching their own message. And what Paul sent Timothy to do was to correct that message and to bring them back into line with the teachings of Jesus. And so, so Timothy's job was to correct that teaching and to take what Paul knew to be the message of Jesus and to teach that to them. And so during the time that Timothy was in Ephesus, he received two letters from Paul. The second of his letters Paul wrote to Timothy while Paul was in prison. And the first letter is, the, is what we're going to hear today. The first letter is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy to give him some advice about how to deal with these corrupt leaders. And one of the bits of advice that Paul gives is to appoint new leaders in the church, who he calls elders and deacons. And then he gives some advice about how those new elders and deacons should conduct themselves, what their foundation should be, and how they should live their lives. Basically, Paul writes to Timothy to give Timothy advice about setting up a rule of life for the new leaders of this church. And Anne's going to come up and read a bit of that letter to us just now. The reading is from the first book of Timothy, chapter 4, and starting at verse 11. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. 
Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. Thank you, Anne. So there's loads of things in Timothy's letter that we could concentrate on, and there's, and there's loads of things within just that little bit of Timothy, of uh, Paul's letter to Timothy that we could concentrate on. But it's the, it's the, the kind of second part, the bit that Anne focused on, that, um, that I want to concentrate on this morning. I want to concentrate on the practical nature of what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do, and I want to explore why that is so important. And bear in mind and keep remembering, the purpose of the trellis is to support the vine so that it, so that you get good wine out of it. The purpose of the yoke is to mirror Jesus' life. And the purpose of me going to the gym is so that I can spend time uh, with my children. There's always a deeper purpose. So as Paul takes, uh, t says to Timothy, as he takes on the leadership of this church in Ephesus, he says, these are the things you must insist on and teach. And then he lists them. He says, don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Timothy was a young leader. And be an example in speech, in your behavior, in love, and in, in the way that you love people, and in your faith. Keep reading the scripture, giving advice and teaching. And then he goes on. He says, put these things into practice. Devote yourself, yourself to them. Keep a firm grasp of your own character and teaching, and don't be diverted. Don't be diverted. Keep focused on what it is that God is saying. Paul is giving Timothy a list of ways of being. If Paul had had the, the, the language of a rule of life, then he'd be adding these things in. If Paul had done that, then he would be putting these things physically into his rule of life. He'd be finding time to read the Scriptures every day. He'd been finding times to act gently and kindly and to love people in service. He'd be intentionally making a plan, a rule, so that he would keep these habits up. Paul tells Timothy to not be diverted, and that's what the rule is all about is finding a way to keep ourselves on track. But then Paul gives Timothy the why. Why is it that we have to do this? Why is it important that we do this? Paul gives Timothy the fundamental reason behind doing it. He reminds him of the bigger picture. And so he says this. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I want you to hear this really closely. Let's take the next slide up, please, Duncan. Paul says, watch your life and your doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, the purpose of what he's doing the purpose of being determined in his faith, the purpose of finding a way to keep his faith on track is to save himself 
and his hearers. There is something in this rule of life, there is something in this way of doing things that saves us, that saves other people. But what does that actually mean? What does saving actually mean? What are we being saved from? Well, actually, we're not being saved from anything. There's something deeper going on here. There's something deeper about this word and about this notion that we don't get until we look at it a little bit deeper. So what is it with the word save? What is it with the word save? Well, let's have a look. I'm going to ask you a question that's not a rhetorical question. I'm actually looking for an answer from this one. What's the title of this sermon series? How to Save a Life. Over the last six weeks, has anyone had even the passing notion of why this sermon series is called How to Save a Life? Put your hands up. Anybody thought about why is that called How to Save a Life? A few folks. I could have called it rule of life. I could have called it spiritual habits. I could have called it how to live a Christian life. I could have called it how to be a super churchy person. But it didn't. I chose to call it how to save a life. Does anyone know where that phrase comes from? Anyone know the phrase how to save a life, where that comes from. Ian Addy, I, 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 I bet that you've listened to the song. Yeah. So this comes from a song by a band called The Fray. And I'm going to tell you a bit about that in a second. Who has noticed on the sermon series poster, can you stick it back to the sermon series poster? If it's just there. Who has noticed on the sermon series poster that there's a little asterisk next to how to save our life? Anyone notice that? One, two, three, folks. What does it say? What does the asterisk say? Anybody looked at it that closely? Your life, how to save your life. So there's a story behind why this sermon series is called this. There's a story behind why the poster is called what it is, and there's a story behind why there's an asterisk there. And so I'm going to tell you, why does this link to the word save, and why is that really important for our spiritual lives? Well, the Frey are a band who are from the U.S. They are um, they're a kind of middle-of-the-road uh, rock band. Evidently, they all have faith, but they're not marketed as a Christian band. And one of their most famous songs is a song called How to Save a Life. Um, if it'll come up on my phone, I'll play a wee bit. Okay, 
That's the song. It's the song that goes behind all sorts of American TV programs. If you've ever watched Grey's Anatomy, then you'll hear, hear the song. If you ever watched Scrubs, then the song comes on quite a lot. In Scrubs, apparently, it's been in One Tree Hill, another uh, kind of teenage uh, American TV program. It's used behind a lot of these sort of programs because it's quite good for these emotional scenes uh, that, uh, that folk like to, like to use. The lead singer of the band is a guy called, uh, called Isaac Slade. He is the lead vocalist, pianist, and songwriter. And in talking about this song, he says that the song was influenced by working as a mentor at a camp for troubled teenagers. And he says this, one of the youngsters I was paired up with was a musician. He says, here was I, a protected suburbanite, and he was just 17 and had all of these problems. No one could write a manual on how to save him. Slade goes on to say that the boy's friends and family's method of helping him was by saying, quit taking drugs, quit cutting yourself off, and if you don't do that, then I won't talk to you ever again. But actually what he needed was not more isolation, but support. In another interview, he explained, I was paired up with one boy in particular. His story was just amazing. All the relationships that he had put at risk because of the decisions he made and eventually losing the relationships that he had was because of the cost of his lifestyle and his choices. So the way that he chose to live his life is what was causing him all of these issues that he had in his life. So an unhelpful, disastrous lifestyle and choices cost his life. What the boy needed was support. What the boy needed was something to carry him. What the boy needed was something to hold him up, some kind of trellis, some kind of way of sharing the load like a yoke. According to the song, all of these things is what would have saved his life. All of these things is what would have saved his life. And we're back to the word save. Paul tells Timothy to be determined in looking after his life and his faith because if he does, he will save his life. He will save himself and his hearers by choosing a lifestyle that mirrors the habits of Jesus and those habits that we've talked about over the last few weeks. That's what will save Timothy, that's what will save his hearers, because that's the message of Jesus. That's what will save us, the message of Jesus. But there's something more about this word, something even deeper about this word. The actual word for save in the letter to Timothy is the Greek word sosis which means to save, to rescue, to preserve, or to heal. So when we read in the Bible that someone is healed by Jesus, then it's the word sosis. The past tense of that word is soteria, which is translated as salvation, which means healed. And even when we link this to the English word, 
The English word salvation comes from the Latin root salve, as in something that you put on a burn or a wound to heal it. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is that in some way, if he's determined to look after his faith, to live a life that mirrors the life of Jesus, to intentionally live into that life, then he will heal himself, and he will heal his hearers. Our sermon series is called How to Save a Life, but it's really how to heal a life. But actually, more than that, it's about how to heal your life. Because living with the rule of life, following the habits of Jesus, isn't about saving us from anything. It's not about saving us from hell or some kind of notion of, of any of that. It's not even about trying to help us to be a better Christian. It's about living a life that mirrors Jesus, following his example, living with his yoke, living with his yoke that inspires us to push against the world that says that we need to strive to be the best that you have to overwork to be worth anything, that you need to have every possession, that you need to look a certain way or to be a certain gender. Jesus' yoke can help us put away the, the hurtful, damaging words that people speak to us. Living with that yoke, living into that, is to push against a world that says it's okay to drive people into, into debt as long as we make a profit. Or that somehow it's okay to invade somebody else's country because you have an ideological notion that another culture or another, uh, or another country or another person is evil. Following Jesus' yoke and his lifestyle of forgiveness, which includes forgiving ourselves, by the way, his, his yoke and his lifestyle of nonviolence, of loving enemies, of looking after ourselves by giving our bodies time to rest in God's presence, to take time for silence, to take time in worship, to take time in awe of the maker of all that is good in the world, taking time to focus on something that is outside of ourselves. These are all of the things that will heal us. These are all the things that make up a rule of life. And remember that the purpose of the trellis is not to build nice vines, the purpose of the trellis is to give us good wine to drink. The purpose of me going to the gym is not because I like going to the gym. The purpose of me going to the gym is so that I can spend time with my children the older I get. The purpose of a rule of life isn't to be a better or more super Christian. It's to heal us. As John Mark Comer says, and in doing so, you recover your soul to have the warped part of you put back into shape to experience healing in the deepest part of your being. This is what God does for us when we intentionally follow him, when we intentionally live our lives as part of his family when we intentionally live our lives with God as a priority and a focus. Imagine a world where we all lived intentionally with the rhythms and the habits of Jesus. Silence, solitude, forgiveness, grace, generosity, simplicity, and with a sense of wonder and of awe. And all that knowing that we are deeply loved 
by God. The world is chaotic. The world is in turmoil. The world is confusing. And our world has changed inexorably over the last couple of years. We long for something that can give us a sense of bedrock, a sense of foundation, something that will anchor us, something that will tether us when everything else is in turmoil, when everything is confusing and chaotic. We long for something that can give us a sure footing in our lives so we don't feel like everything is so out of control. We look for something to help. And Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hear these words of Jesus. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So on all of these things that we base our rule of life, our living of our living our life to be more like Jesus. This is what the community of St. Anselm in their rule of life describes. They say it's the transformation of our will, our actions, our priorities, our desires, the healing and reversal of every ill Jesus assumed in himself on the cross. And in the years before Jesus gave his life, on the cross. The prophet Isaiah described Jesus' work on the cross saying this, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. A rule of life can help us to become more like Jesus. And through becoming more like Jesus, we are healed. Through everything that Jesus did on the cross in love, on the cross to forgive us and to offer us a new life, through all of this, we are healed. This is how you save a life, but more, this is how you heal your life. Let's pray together. Loving God, plant these words of healing deep in our hearts. May we intentionally live our lives as disciples, healed, forgiven, and loved by you. May we know that through you, through ordering our lives, through your rhythms, that we are healed. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Let's so go from this place knowing that in Jesus you are healed, that you are loved, and that you can bear your burden with Jesus. 
to take that message out into our world. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and all who you love this day and forevermore. Thank you.